Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Mulleary and this is XJob Downloaded and today I'm going to interview Tracy Wignall. Now, Tracy is a former member of the military and a former police officer. So where did it all begin for Tracy? Um, Well, I will say, first of all, Paul, you've had some really interesting guests on this podcast until now. So um, Behave. So I I apologise, listener. Um, So I'm originally from Greater Manchester, um, I was born in a town called Ashton Underline, um, and I did my uh, schooling there, all my schooling and my college um, that I went to um, in Ashton and Droylston, part of Greater Manchester. And uh, I left there at the age of 18 um, to go off and join the Royal Air Force. So that's kind of where it, where it all started, and I've, I've never really been back since, only to visit um, but yeah, I left there in 1989 when I went off to join the RAF. Wow. What was the motivator to join the RAF, though? Well, you know, I've I've thought about this a lot, and I I don't know where um, my influences came from at all because I'm not from a military family, um, I'm not from a policing family, but from a very young age, um, I must have had this urge that that was what I wanted to do Um, and when I was about 12 I went off down to the air training corps in Ashton which is down at the sixth form college and um, I pestered them to allow me to join Um, and they said to me well for one you're too young Uh, I think you had to be 13 and I said well I'm not far off 13 so you know that's not an excuse and then they said, well, we, we don't have um, facilities to have females here, so we can't have any females join yet. I said, well, how do we change that? Because I want to join. Um, and so, well, we haven't got any female members of staff. And there was a lady there. And I went, well, who's she? And uh, they said, well, she's a volunteer that comes and she teaches first aid. She's with St. John's Ambulance. I said, well, she's a female member of staff. Surely I can join. Um so I must have pestered them so much that they, they kind of said, right, okay, fine, um, we'll allow you to join. So I think I must have had to wait a couple of months till I was 13. And then I used to go down there on the quiet and uh, three three times a week. And um, I used to stand there in my jeans and my trainers and my T-shirt while everybody else was in uniform. And I used to march around with them all. Um, and I loved it. And you couldn't keep me away. And then when they officially were allowed to have girls um i think if they ever had like a spot inspection they'd go and shove me in a cupboard or something and just get me out of the way but um, i'm really surprised that they kind of let me do it um but i'm grateful that they did because i absolutely loved it um so when they officially got girls um i was the first one to get my uniform and um you know i said to my my mum and dad don't touch that that's mine 
sampled my shoes. I had a friend who was in the TA, so he got me some proper parade shoes. And I used to ball them and I used to sort my uniform out and everything. I used to practically march down the road to the cadets three times a week. Um, and uh, I got to be a cadet sergeant. And then when I don't know what year I left, um, but I think I probably was still there up to or around about 17, 18, which was when I then wanted to join um, the RAF. Now, at, at some point, I had contacted um, Greater Manchester Police because I knew that I wanted to do military or police. And I contacted Great Manchester Police and said, oh, well, I would like to join. I'm interested in joining, crewing the police, blah, blah. And I can remember they wrote back to me and said, well, we actually prefer for people to have a life outside of the police before they come to us. Um, oh, how, how times have changed, eh? Yeah. Um, and um, I kind of went, oh, okay. So that kind of made my mind up for me. And I thought, well, fine, I'll do both. So um, I went off to, to join the RAF. My mom, I don't think my mum and dad wanted me to do that. What was that um, like? I, I, you know, I don't know. I think there, there was just a fear of, you know, you, 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 your child going off to join the military. I, I guess a parent always has that um, that fear, um, probably mostly of, of the unknown and, you know, where you're going to end up or travel and dangerous situations, whatever it is. Um, and I was just very determined. That's what I wanted to do. But the world um, was different then, wasn't it? I mean, we, we we had a different type of terrorism. We still had the IRA. Yes. And um, so, they yes. were very targeted against the, the British forces. Yes. And I suppose there's some of that, you know, in the in the back of their mind thinking, I wonder what gonna, it's going to look like from that perspective, although we weren't involved yeah, in, in conflicts as mm. such overseas. When you when you yeah. went in and signed on at the careers office, where did you go? So I um, went to Manchester, and and that's where I uh, went through my attestation, and then we uh, we left. And there's a little bit of a funny story because my dad reminded me of this recently. Um, he dropped me off at the station for me to go to do my basic training at RF Swinderby. And everybody was meeting and getting on the same train. And uh, everybody was hugging the parents at the station and, um, you know, in tears. And there was lots of sobbing. I mean, and my mum didn't even come to, to wave me off. She oh. went to work, rude. Um, <laughs> and my, so my dad, had, my dad had dropped me off. I think he dropped me off to make sure I left. Um, so I was just dragging my suitcase onto the train like, bye, dad, bye. And everybody else was sobbing. And he reminded me of it recently because I was going off um, to do some work uh, in the Middle East and I was saying goodbye to my dog and I was distraught. And he said, he stood there and he went, you didn't get upset like that when I took you to the station when you joined the area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's different, so, Dad. <laughs> it is, I know, very different. I think he was a bit put out, but there we are. So I went off to RS Swinderby, which is where everybody back then um, would do their six weeks basic training. Um, so you go in as a, you know, call civilian and you get thrown into a dormitory with 12 other um, people. Um, and you go through your six weeks of, uh, of basic training. And where is Swinderby? Swinderby um, is 
uh, in Lincoln. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore. It's probably a housing estate, right. um, sadly. Um, and there I was, age 18. I mean, you're just a kid, still aren't you, at mm-hmm. 18, when I think back now. And I was in this, this room of 12 of us in this dormitory. And because I was going in to be in the RF police, um, they put me in charge of the room. And I think I was the youngest one in there. Um, but I loved it. And I've still got, I'm still friends with two of the girls that I went through basic training with now. Brilliant. You know, 30 odd, 30 odd years later. Um, absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, so just, just the six weeks there. But when it came to my, uh, my pass out parade at Swindby, sorry, another little funny dad story. Um, we, so I went there on the, t- I started on the 10th of November. So if you think six weeks on from that, we're getting towards Christmas. So you can imagine the weather. It was sideways, wind and rain for the pass out parade. And so they decided that the pass out parade would be in one of the massive aircraft hangars, which is a big metal building. It's huge. It's very echoey. And all down one side of the building are the tiered seats for the friends and family. And um, I had been chosen to be one of the markers. So we had four flights that were passing out. So two of female, two of male. I don't know how many were in each one. 50, maybe, um, something like that. 50 per flight. And um, so we had four four markers. Um, And we, the four of us, were marched out before anybody else. And we stood on our little marker on the ground, standing there. And we all stood to attention, looking towards all the friends and family. You could hear a pin drop in this place. Now, in the other aircraft hangar were the band that had all formed up and then the full four flights of individuals who were ready to march in with the band. So I'm stood there, quiet as you like, hear a pin drop. And my dad thinks it's appropriate to stand up and start shouting, Tracy! No! <laughs> no! In the middle of all the friends and family. And I'm stood to attention with, <laughs> through gritted teeth, honestly. No. I don't know what was going through his head. But through gritted teeth going, sit down, sit down. What are you doing? Sit down. And I think my mum was probably just like, Tugging on his oh arm, going, will you sit down? Everybody else probably going, who is this riffraff? Oh, I mean, I don't know what he is. He was waving his arms like he was drowning. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he expected me to do, wave back. Um, oh. So, yeah, that probably set the bar for the rest of my career, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Where did you go to for your police training, for the um, RF police training? So I left Swindon, I had a, a two-week, I think it was two-week, two-week course at RF St. Athen in South Wales where you did your driving, um, where they threw you into a, um, a Land Rover, a really old Land, Land Rover Defender and made you do your driving test again in the middle of Cardiff on a Friday, which was fun. Um, and from there I went to RF Newton, which was the RF Police School. And where is um, Newton? Which again is, it, that's near Nottingham, which right. again is probably a housing estate now. Mm. Um, I can't remember how long the training was for. It was quite a few weeks. Um, but again, you know, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, 
could just, you know, immerse you into this um, military life that, well, you just go in it at 100 miles an hour. And I know there's probably lots of other people who, well, I'm saying lots of other people who might listen, who are RAF, a lot of rubbish. But, um, you know, it was very disciplined and... Um, I was in in a in a group in a class of I was the only female in my class, and you know the guys were having their inspection in their block, but because one of them messed up, we all got punished. No. So I'm I'm in my women's block, completely separate to them. They've had their room trashed because someone's made a right mess of it, and on the inspection they've gone right that whole class. So I have to come in at the weekend to get all my kit ready to have a full kit inspection on the Monday morning, even though I'm in a completely different block. But because you're part of that same, you know, you're a team, you need to make sure you gel as a team. And that if someone isn't, if someone's bringing the whole team down, then you as a team need to bring that person up. Wow. And and it kind of went on like that, really. But, um, but yeah, I loved it. Did you have another pass-out parade? Because, I mean, you, when you qualified for your trade, you wouldn't have got your white cap until you'd... No. Yeah, so I got my white hat. At, um, well, you get it straight away at... Um, I think you get it straight away at police training school. Um, and then we had a, we had another pass-out parade, yeah. It was only a small one because yeah. you're only in a, in a, in a, small, uh, a, a small class. Um, but, yeah, they still have a, they still have a little pass-out parade. Because they do the tri services now, don't they? So the the um, Royal Marines, uh, sorry, Royal Navy, uh, RMP, and the RF police, they all go to the same training school now. All right, yeah. I'm not aware to be honest. Yeah, down Is in. That, did they move it from Halton? Because it was down at RF Halton. Yeah, I believe it's down in Portsmouth or down that neck of the woods now. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah. That's my understanding because my dad was in the military police and he went to Chichester and it's and it's all moved. It's all under one one roof now. Yeah. So where did you get posted to for from? Uh... Oh. So you put your uh, choices in, and I'd asked for um, RAF Scampton, Leeming, and Coningsby, which are all kind of Lincoln North Northish yeah. sort of areas. And in true military form, they read out my posting. I can remember sitting in the classroom. We're all sat in the classroom. Just, um, well, I think we must have had the press out parade. And then they sat you down. They said, right, you're going to give everybody their postings. And they went, Wignall. I went, yeah. I went, RF Manston. And I went, where's that? It's not one of my three choices. And he said, basically, head south. Keep going till you just reach, just before France. And I, went, I, was, I was like, well, that's absolutely nowhere near where I actually wanted to go. Well, there you go, Arif Manston, which is near Margate. So, Is that still <laughs> there? I don't even know if that's still there. <laughs> um, that is, uh, I believe, is currently being used. Immigration for... Centre. Yes. It is. Yes. It is. That's where all the controversy's been, where they're doing the booking in and... People have had yes. all sorts of unspeakable illnesses and blah blah blah. Yeah, that's the. Really? I, I knew I knew it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah so it's the immigration centre. Yeah, mm, interesting. So, yeah, so I went. To, I was posted to RF Manston, which I had to see where it was on the map, 
Um, I loaded my little car up with all my belongings and I drove for about four and a half hours from Manchester to get there. <laughs> Down to the south. <laughs> what what yeah. was that like, though? I mean, because the, the military, the RF have always had female members of staff, but it's still not so much now, but male-dominated, the military, certainly in you know late 80s. What was that like for you going into your first camp? It was, yeah, interesting. Turned up there and I was 19 years old and I'd been posted to the RF police flight at RF Manston and I was the only female on the flight. And when I arrived there, I was probably, for a lot of people that, that were on the, um, on the base, I was the first RF policewoman they'd ever seen. Um, so, yeah, it was um, interesting um probably a bit difficult at times but um you know in particular that people that i were then working with who were obviously they're all all men um all older than me and might have gone home and said oh we've got um we've got a girl just joined our section and i can remember going round to the marriage quarters to pick somebody up and the wife answered the door and she set a dog on me. Um, <laughs> so little things like that that mm. probably didn't go down very well. It's like, well, thanks for the welcome. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, odd. But um, not everybody was like that, I will say. Um, but, yeah, just, you know, got on with it as you do. Um, take as you find, adapt and overcome. Um, yeah. Was it an active base? Was it, you know, did, did there flights out there or, or was it what sort of... Well, it, it was search and rescue oh, right. um, that were based there. Search and rescue and it was the fire training school. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a training unit and um, and search and rescue. So, um, I mean, you did have some flights come in, but not, not many. No. Not many. How long did you serve there? Did I do two and a half years there? Because whilst I was there, I actually went off and did my special investigators course. Oh, right. Um, which, and although, because obviously I was very young in service, I had inquired about the possibility of doing it and um, I was accepted to do a course because, again, you know, it was uh, predominantly a, a, a male environment because there weren't many RA police women. So it would normally be, the prerequisite would be that you were a substantive corporal, as everybody who's in the RF police obviously gets the acting rank of corporal um, as soon as they pass out of training school. Um, so the prerequisite was usually that you had to be a substantive corporal and then you would be considered for a course. But because they needed more women in that sort of role, um, we were allowed to apply beforehand. So I applied and I, I, I got a course and off I went back to the police training school and did my special investigators course, um, which was great at the time because I was, you know, I'd gone through um, training school and I had to learn all these definitions and points of law and et cetera, et cetera. And they were probably still quite fresh in my mind. So, and you were just doing that again, but just of greater quantity. Um, so, so, yeah, so I went off and did that came back for a brief time back to Manston and then I thought well I've got this qualification now I'd really like to use it 
So um, I was then posted um, to Rudlow Manor to um, the Provost and Security Services there um, for their headquarters, Southern Region. Oh, wow. And how did that change your style of policing? Well, I mean, it's very different. You, you, um, I'm pretty much thrown in at the deep end. Um, I can remember working with some very experienced um, investigators and sure enough, stra- straight away, um, I was going out with them and working on investigations with them. But I can remember coming in one Monday morning after a weekend off and just being handed a file and said, uh, this job's coming at the weekend. I mean, I, I say handed a file, it's probably got one sheet of paper mm. in it with a little bit of information on. And it had been that there'd been an arson at um, RF Hereford and it was just get your stuff, um, get yourself over there and start investigating it. And that's <laughs> and, it. You know, and how old was I then? 21? Off you go. Um, go and investigate that on your own. So, <laughs> steep learning curve, but but it's interesting. Very much so yeah, because the SIB really interesting stuff. I mean, the, the guys went out to Belize when there was a a, a murder of a, a young lad at one of the local brothels out there. Uh, unfortunately, the timing was pretty poor for me because as I went there, options for change came in, right and. They were closing an awful lot of bases around the world. And you then had this influx of RF police who had no jobs. Oh. Um, and then, so basically, and, and, and I guess at the time this was kind of unheard of that we had a situation where they were offering personnel um, redundancy. I remember, yeah. Yeah, from the military. I was. I didn't have enough service. There was no point, in, and I didn't. I didn't want to go. I'd just started my career. I'd signed for nine years, um, you know, and with a view to extending if it was going in the right direction. And so, I can't remember how long I'd been there, but I literally came into work one day, and they said, "You're off." Excuse me. So, I mean, can you imagine? Let's let's. Let's put this into our other world of being in the police. Yeah. You've just imagine you've just joined the CID. You've got the job of your dreams, and they say, uh, there's too many people in this office. You were the last one in. Get yourself back to uniform, which is effectively what they did. That's bonkers. So I was told, um, you're going to be posted. And I was like, well, I've only just got you. <laughs> he said, but you know, last in, first out, um, there's not enough jobs. All right, okay. Um, so, so yeah, so I ended up, I was I was posted to um, Stanmore Park um, in North London, and off I went, back to stand on a gate, which is not what I wanted. No. I didn't enjoy, I know I didn't, when I look back, I think I didn't really enjoy my time there, which is probably because I, I guess I went there under a bit of a cloud, not because I'd done anything no. wrong, because, you know, it was a posting I didn't want, I didn't ask for. Um, and, you know, I I'd, I felt like I'd gone backwards. Um, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the guys that I was working with were quite happy doing what they were doing. And that's, you know, it's also for courses, isn't it? I. I didn't enjoy it. I don't want to spend a 12-hour shift 
study it, looking at concrete. Stagging on whilst the gate, I'm yeah. Armed, just stagging on, yeah, yeah. I, I, and and doing a doing a patrol of the merry quarters. That's I was happy to do that when I first started, um, because that's how you you start to learn your trade and and you know you do your bit and all of that. But it wasn't how I saw my career going. So how long did um, you do that for, though? Oh, I then started to actively seek to leave. Um, and <laughs> I can remember uh, phoning the Met Police uh, because I wanted to join. And they said, um, you're not in... Did they say you're not in our catchment area? So, well, I'm in, I'm in North London. Yeah, but your home address is Manchester. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm in the military, so I've just given you my parents' address. And it was, you know, one of those computers says no. Um, so I just started to look, where, where can I join? And I, I was applying for everywhere. I applied for Greater Manchester Police. They said no because I have asthma. Um, and it was back in the... So if we're thinking it was um, 1994-ish when I was doing this, they had a lot of people applying and so they said to me well look we can afford to let you go basically because we've got so many people coming um i was like all oh, right okay so um i just looked around greater manchester and just started looking at other other places i went to cheshire lancashire lots weren't recruiting they'd, they'd filled all their places um and that's when I stumbled across South Yorkshire. I don't think I'd even ever been there. Um, but I was determined. I, I just, you know, I, I just wanted to get in the police and, and get off looking at this gate and pressing a button up and down. So you so applied and, they, and you got it? Yeah, yeah. And I think at the time people were going, what is she doing? She's going to South Yorkshire. She's never, I think she's driven through it maybe once. <laughs> what on earth is she thinking? And people said it to me when I was, when I was leaving the job and I was moving to North Yorkshire and they went, have you ever been there? And I said, well, yeah, and I've been, I've had a look and all things like that. And I, I think, I heard somebody else talk about this in one of your other podcasts. I think when you've been in the military and they just say, right, you're going there and you go with all your things and you just go and yeah. you just, Get on with it. As I said, you adapt and overcome and you just deal with what your surroundings are and just make the best of it. Um, so I didn't see it as a uh, as an issue. I just wanted to get out of what I was doing. And, and I, again, it's something that I've heard you talk about before. I wasn't going to stand there and complain and go, I don't want to do this. Because if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Move on, yeah. get on with something else. Yeah, absolutely right. You were top recruit in the RAF. You, you won the baton of, mm. baton of honour in, in the RAF. What was it like when you went into the police training world, though? Because you, you're a seasoned member of the military <laughs> by this point. You know, you, you knew, I've used this before as well, you knew how to ball your shoes and now to get all your kit yeah. straight. Yeah, well, do you know, it was interesting because um, I went to uh, Akeley Heads at Durham um, where there's m more than one um, policing organisation that, that train there. It's quite a few, actually. I can't mm. remember them all. But most of the northern ones, not Manchester, they've got their own. Um, 
but it was quite a few that trained from Ankle Heads. And I can remember being sat in my uh, room of an evening doing, doing my studying, and you could just hear chaos in the corridor because people had been into Durham on the booze. And uh, I was like, I've done that. I was, what age would I have been? So I joined the police in February 1995. So I'd have been 23 years old. And I had done enough partying in the RAF. Yeah. <laughs> to last me a lifetime. So um, I was happy just getting on with my work and... I, like I say, I'd been through that police training. All right, it's completely different, but I'd done points of law and definitions, and I'd done that twice. So I was sat here now just, you know, going over it again, and um, I wanted to do well at it. I'd done well at it once. I didn't apply myself at school. I was dreadful at school. I was rubbish. Um, and I got into the police, and that it must have been my calling because... I was just happy doing that studying. If you asked me to go and study my geography that I should have been doing at A-level, uh, no, it doesn't interest me. This is what interests me. Um, so, yeah, people were messing about, and that's up to them. If that's what you want to do, you crack on. Um, but I was... Focused. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. Um but you knew the benefits that, that you knew the benefits of because I was I was a rubbish student at school, I was a rubbish student at Ashford. It was only in later life that I decided to take some police exams. But you knew the benefits of actually doing well in the training situation. Yeah, well, I don't think I, I don't think that kind of um, dawned on me at the at the time. It was just that's what felt the right thing to do. Um, and I think maybe it was because I didn't do well at school. I wanted, and I'd been recognised as, be, as having done this well before. I wanted to keep um, doing well at it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does make um, perfect sense. Um, so, yeah, it was just what I enjoyed. I just enjoyed it. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't doing it to try and be a show off or... Or, or anything like that. Um, I mean, it got embarrassing because you'd come into class in the morning and you'd all sit round in a horseshoe, as you do, and the, we had very strict instructors, um, and the instructor would come in and everybody would sit there looking terrified, thinking, what am I going to get asked? And straight away, we get a test. Just say, yeah. right. And he'd just point at somebody and go, criminal damage, and you'd have to say acting section and just come out with it. Um, and everybody's sort of going, oh, no, it's pointing at me. What am I going to get asked? Um, and if somebody got something wrong or they just went, oh, started to, you know. Waffle. Gibberish. Waffle used to come out. He just, he wouldn't even look at me, just point. <laughs> and I'd go, and then I'd obviously say the definition. And I bet they're all sat there going, <laughs> not her again. Um, and then he'd get to my turn and he'd come out with something that we've not even studied. Uh, something, you know, obscure. And I'd know it. <laughs> You're not doing yourself any favours here. Yeah, I, I don't know. I Like I say, didn't apply myself at school at all. And then... 
I was I was on it. So where did you get posted to when you finished? You, you've won the baton again, haven't you? Because I mean, that's yeah. So you're top student again. I, I tell you what, you, there seems to be a theme here. <laughs> and you, yeah, but do you know what they gave me as a prize? Go on, a book token. <laughs> well, they gave me a dictionary. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Which a lot of people who know me will probably laugh at that. Because she's never read it. <laughs> he gave me this dictionary. It's massive. And I kind of looked at it. Why have you given me a dictionary? I mean, they gave me a little trophy on the day, which I had to then hand back in. Um, I didn't even get a baton. <laughs> How funny is that? It was a little, a little silver trophy and I had to hand it back. And, a bloody and then great they gave dictionary. me a dictionary, which I thought was rude. You can use that to wedge your door open when you get promoted. <laughs> well, that was it, yeah. Where did you go to, <laughs> though? I got my own office, sadly. Oh, did you? So, um, no, I was posted to Doncaster Town Centre. Donny. Yeah. Fantastic. What a place to go and learn your trade. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. And if I could ever go back to a time in my life, it would be there. Oh, really? Why? Oh, it was probably like you. I What I love about um, policing back then, so um, where are we talking now? We're talking August, September 1995. Um, it was... It was the characters that you had on your team. Yeah. I mean, I could probably name everybody that I was on that team with now, uh, but I'd struggle to tell you who I worked with, you know, 10 years ago. But going back to that team then, I could probably name them all. And I'm going to mention one name to you um, who I worked with on that team, and that was Howard Webb. Howard Webb? The referee. No way. Yeah. I, do, do you know what? So, I would love to interview Howard Webb. If you can get me near Howard Webb, I would love you forever. He so, is he is well, one of my sporting idols. <laughs> I kid you not. Because he's a copper. He's a copper and, and he was everything that I aspired. You know, he's brilliant. Howard Webb is an absolute legend. I love him. He's fantastic. And I can remember I got to my local training school. So not Akeley Hedge, you would then go away to your, your, your training school in South Yorkshire. And um, I think it might have even been within my first two weeks. And they said, oh, there's somebody from the team that you're going to here. And it was Howard. And I can remember standing in the corridor and talking to this tall lad. And I thought, oh, how lovely are you? You're really nice. Because um, he was a bit further ahead um, than me. Um, I, I, maybe he was coming towards the end of his probation when I was just starting mine. Excuse me. And um, yeah, so and it was funny that we used to sit in the in the parade room, um, and he he was obviously he was refereeing then, but he was he wasn't anywhere near the Premiership or anything like that. Um, but yeah, lovely guy. Um, loved working with him. Loved going out with him for a drink. Um, as we used to do as a team. Um, yeah, I'm very proud of him. Oh, I bet he, I, 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 I can imagine. Immensely proud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I met him um, for lunch uh, a few years ago now, 
um, and it was, it happened to be, it's another dad story, um, it happened to be when my dad was coming down uh, to visit me down in London, and I met him, I met my dad at the station, and um, I said, oh, I don't mind, Dad. I said, but I'm meeting a friend for lunch. And I knew he'd go, oh, no, who, what? Oh. And I, he said, oh, no, who are we meeting? And I said, Webby. <laughs> and he was like, oh, he was elated. Starstruck. Um, so absolutely. So off we went. I couldn't get words in edgeways. My dad's a massive football fan, like enormous, big United fan. Um, I supported him all his life. He's 75 now. Um, so he was just beside himself that he was going to meet Webby. So, and I'd nipped into the Waterstones at Trafalgar Square and bought two of Webby's books so that he could sign one for me and sign one for my dad. And, um, I just sat there kind of wasn't able to really have a conversation with him because my dad was just asking him loads of questions about Alex Ferguson and all this. And you <laughs> but, um, Howard signed, signed the book for me and I'll just read out to you what what he put in it. So it says, to Tracy, I hope you enjoy the book. I haven't read it yet, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Um, there, are, there are some amazing memories in it for me, but the best time of my working life was on Rota One in Donny with you. Thanks for making me a better copy, Howard. That is, do you know, oh, what, isn't that lovely? That is absolutely, that's heartwarming, Tracy. That is absolutely, yeah, it and is. He's a consummate professional. Yeah, he is massively, massively. Do you know, I got that out yesterday to to read that quote, and I got a bit emotional. Yeah, I bet you did. Um, when I when I read it, um, he's a, he's a lovely, lovely guy. Um, was probably one of my my most favourite times in policing was. Um, from my probation, um, two three years in, into my uh, policing career in in, uh, in South Yorkshire in, in Doncaster Town Centre, yeah, I loved it. And because you you know you're you're from Manchester, there's always a bit of a rub between Leeds and Man United and all that malarkey. I mean, that's uh... so. Here's one for you. We it was Euro '96, and um, there'd been. Some intel about some Doncaster Whites, so Doncaster-based Leeds fans. Yeah, we're, we're going to travel from Doncaster to London um, purely to fight at the England Scotland match. Um, so we turned up to a briefing very early that morning, and we basically. Uh, stopped the coach, a 52-seater coach, full of England fans, and we nicked every single one. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if there was ever any uh, legal battle after this, um, but <laughs> we nicked every single one for um, conspiracy to commit public order. And yeah, we had to open. We had to open up the holding cells that they have. You got Doncaster Nick, and then there used to be under the under the road. There was a tunnel that went into the court. Magistrates, yeah. So you could just run them underneath. Um, so we had to open that up. I mean, can you imagine the custody sergeant? I was just going to say. You've- 
You've done Hello, what? Hello, Sarge. Um, we got 52. They were all handwritten then. The the custody sheets yeah. were handwritten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every yeah. visit, handwritten, booking them in, mm-hmm. rights mm-hmm. entitlements, all all handwritten. Not like now, yeah. it's pressing. 52 button. of them. Oh my life. How long were you <laughs> how long were you at Doncaster? Um so I was there how long was I there for? I got promoted um in two thousand. Did I get promoted in two thousand? After yeah, only so five years. My first yeah, my first five years, yeah. Um and I did I did a bit of all sorts while I was in Doncaster. So I did my I did um my core response team uh stuff and then I went off and I did my um trainee detective um in the CID office next door to where all the response teams are. Um and then I did a little bit of um tutoring. I had to go at that as well. Um so yeah, I did my first five years in uh, in Doncaster. I had a bit of a rough time while I was there as well because unfortunately I had to um I had to deal with the death of my mother um whilst I was whilst I was there which which was a, a you know a real impact on me really. Yeah. Um but you know But you yeah, and you're you're still young. I assume your mother was quite young at that time as well then. She was forty eight oh, um, when she died. Uh, and how old would I have been? I'd have been uh twenty eight when when she died. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was it was um it was it was a rough time going through it all. Uh and basically I had to nurse her through her last weeks because she uh, she should have been in a hospice and they didn't get her in one in time. So but yeah, it was a bit of a rough time. Yeah, but... I bet. When you when you finish yeah. at Doncaster, where do you go to from there? Well, I just I might have to give you a bit of backstory here. So, because my posting was a bit unusual, so I um, did my PC to Sergeant Promotion Board, and despite the fact that in the run up to it, I'd had a really rough time. Um, and it was it was really lucky that I actually um, was recommended for promotion because it was I hadn't had a great I hadn't had a great year um, and I think they probably looked at that and went well she's not really produced much this year because I was a thief taker I will admit to that I'm quite happy to be arrogant about it and say you know I loved going out yep. just razzing about and catching people and, and what locking them up yeah, absolutely. It's what I enjoyed doing. That's it, it, that's what I did. So, um, and I'd probably, I'd kind of, my results had dropped and everything. I'd, I'd gone off the boil. And it's no surprise, really, with what I went through. But I managed to get, scrape the numbers together to get recommended for promotion. And I can remember having a conversation with the inspector who was running the tutor unit. And I said, all I need to do is get to that interview and I think I'll be fine. And he was like, right, yeah, no, I don't doubt it. So I managed to scrape through on me on my application. And I can remember doing a mock board. And you know when you have an out-of-body experience <laughs> and people are asking you questions and stuff's coming out of your mouth without you've even thought about it. And 
the person above is looking down going, what did you just say? What on earth are you talking about? Just stop. You just, I made a right mess of it. My mock board was appalling. Right. I should have been sacked. Some of the stuff I came out with, it was, why is she even in the job? She's dreadful. <laughs> I don't know what happened. You know, you're like, ah, oh, no, catastrophe. And I went to my um, to my actual board, a uniform chief inspector on it um, from Doncaster. There was a, a DI on there who, who, who I didn't know, didn't know where he was from. And there was a chief superintendent from Sheffield. And because there was two boards running at the same time, the DCI from, from my nick was actually next door on another board. And he'd been harassing me when I'd finished my board. I'd gone back to work and he was like, where are you going to be when you get your result? And I like, just kept going on about it. And I'm like, why has he got such an interest in, in, in my result all of a sudden? Anyway, long story short, um, they told me I passed. Um, I was like, all oh, right, brilliant. Um, yeah, but you didn't just pass. What do you mean you didn't just pass? You can top in the force. And I went, what? And well, you could have knocked me over, you know, blow me down with a feather. Um, especially having had such a poor <laughs> mock attempt at it. And then I don't know what happened on that day. I have no idea what happened. But I just just kept coming out with the right answers. And I can remember the chief superintendent at the end. He said, right, Tracy, um, well, you've been talking now for, and he went, looked up at the clock and he went, a long time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd obviously just gone, and I was just coming out with all this stuff and just hitting them with with everything. And um, yeah, so because I came top, they then said, right, we want her for a particular path, uh, corporate development department, which was at headquarters. And I'd never heard of it. You know, I was a street cop. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and But they were trying to obviously direct me down yeah. a certain route. And um, and that's where I went. And that does bro- broaden your horizons when it comes to the strategic side. And they obviously thought that you were going to go on and be, you know, chief officer or whatever it may be because that's – I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> but you'd have been working with people that were involved in Hillsborough. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I didn't have any involvement no. in... Um, I'd been round a number of people who had been um, on duty at Hillsborough before my time, but um, but, I, I, but it was it was something you didn't talk about. No. Nobody really talked about it or, you know, that that was... It happened and, and you know, I, I don't really... Oh yeah, even now, really even now, it's a controversial about. conversation, isn't it? You know, yeah, David yeah. Duckenfield didn't yeah. go out on that day. Uh, he, you know, what what happened happened. He had no intention, or he wasn't there to make anybody die. That's that's the bottom line. No, absolutely, no, not at all. And of course, you had the minor strike, which was still probably in the background of of people's minds as well when you're working out in the communities there. And the relationship between the police and the public was a little bit strained at times during, you know, in 84, during the miners' strike. Did that ever have an impact on your policing? I don't think so. Um, I mean, it had probably changed a lot of the communities that we were in, and I probably never noticed the change because I hadn't seen it beforehand. Um, But 
I just think it's probably, you know, from from a lot of the from the, the closures themselves has made a massive impact mm. on on the communities, um, as as well as the strike. So, um, <clears throat> no, I mean we, you know, you could you could just um, back in those days, you could just go into communities and and just be able to say, I hope me all flower lots up. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I can remember I said that to somebody on one of my first shifts when I was parachuted into Wandsworth in southwest London, and this person just looked at me as if I'd come from space. Um, as if to say, what on earth are you talking about? Hey, up, duck. <laughs> hey, up, duck. I hope me all flower. Yeah. Like, um what? You'd get a complaint now. Did someone say that you've you, yeah, the bit that she inappropriately called me a geranium or something like that? <laughs> when did you transfer to the Met? So I did eighteen months in. I think it was eighteen months I did in corporate development, um, and I saw an advert in Police Review saying that they wanted sergeants to transfer to the Met, and. That's what I did. And what was the motivator? Um, though? I mean, it, it's quite a, a. You've gone, you know, military, South Yorkshire, you know, Manchester, South Yorkshire, and then down to the Met. What was the motivator? I don't like to sit still, Paul. To be fair, you know, that's, well, that's fair <laughs> enough. Um, and well, if you remember, I'd the first um, organisation I'd contacted was the Met. It was the Met that I originally wanted to join. Um, I'd wanted to be, I saw my career going towards being part of the special branch um, in the Met. That's what I wanted to do. I'd always wanted to go um, to the Met. Um, and it just happened to be that I was in a relationship with somebody down there, which just made it a little bit easier. And I said, you know, I'd like to, this opportunity has come up and I, I do want to move. Um, so that's what I did. And were you initially posted to Borough? Yeah, I went to Wandsworth. Into Wandsworth. I mean, that was a shock. Friday well, yeah. late turn. Yeah, that is a that is a different <laughs> different kettle of fish. You're only up the road from Brixton Possibly. and all the other. You know, there's some some lively areas around there. Yeah, yeah. What was that like though when you when you first turned up there? I can remember I was on a Friday late shift, and I was the only. I don't know how this happened but I was the only sergeant on duty for the whole of Wandsworth despite the ones that you've got in the custody suites obviously but so we had Wandsworth, Tootin, uh, Battersea for the three nicks that we had in that massive area of southwest London and um, I remember going out in in a, a response car with a lad called Greg who unfortunately was became victim of cancer quite quite oh. um at quite a young age um, and I remember being out in the car with him and I just kept saying to him all shift what were they saying what was that they said <laughs> I just listened to radio I had no idea what anybody was talking about <laughs> and I was just concerned because if you remember, if you, remember if you think that I was promoted and I went straight into an office yeah so I did my sergeant probation as a strategic planner I wasn't learning my trade doing that at all because it's about, you know, leading people, uh, managing things and situations. And I didn't do any of that as a strategic planner. Um, 
in headquarters. So I was just so conscious of the fact that I was going to drop a ball massively. Um, so all all shift I was like, do I need to go to that? Do we need to be there? Do I, what are they saying? Oh. And he was like, for goodness sake. So <laughs> chill, <hard>. chill. Yeah, <laughs> it will get sorted out. Yeah. How long were you doing the, 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 that side, you know, the response side? Um, I think I was at Wandsworth. So I got there in 2001. 2001? 2001. 2001. Um, I did that for three years. Um, I loved it. And as, um, I was listening to Nick Inge on his interview with yourself and he was saying a similar thing you know he'd got promoted um having been out of uniform went into uniform and you were a team you all looked after each other you supported one another uh and and that's exactly what happened i needed them to help me and occasionally they needed me to help them um and and that's how we got by um, I spent a lot of time in custody, unfortunately, as you do as a as a team sergeant. Um, a lot of the time, but it, it's a great trade to learn, and I think every single sergeant that gets promoted should do a stint in custody. I never did. I never went to. Custody. I know you didn't. I know you didn't. <laughs> but <laughs> you're you, right. It's you're such right. A trade to learn, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Trade to learn. I had to correct some um, flying squad officers once. Brought a prisoner in on an uh, was it on a late on a late shift on a late shift. They brought a prisoner in that they produced um, from prison, uh, and I, I think it was a fir- arrest on further evidence or something. I can't remember now what the circumstances of it were, but I can remember I've come in on a night shift, and I've looked at it all. And I'm going, they think they're just going to bring this bloke in because they produced him from prison. Bed him down, they're going to come in, fag in hand in the morning <laughs> and, and interview the bloke, the blagger. And I'm looking at it going, his clock has started ticking again and it's about to run out. But they've got no idea of totally how oblivious. all of that works. Totally oblivious to it all. And I've had to call the on-call superintendent out, who happens to be the borough commander, chief superintendent. He comes out and I'm like, all right, Governor, I've spotted this. Uh, bit of an issue. He needs another 12 <laughs> hours. He does. Well, they didn't they have a shock the next morning when he was on the phone to them? <laughs> but, yeah, it's a great trade to learn. It is, it is. Um, I was the custody manager for a period of time, so I was a lot of fish out of water because I had no idea what the custody yeah. sergeants. I did, but you know, not in the. I knew what words I I should have said if I was going to do the role. I knew how to do reviews and what have you, but yeah, it was, it's yeah, it's not a, it's it's not a pleasant place. No, to be, and how it? many cells would you be looking after? No. So at the time, then Wandsworth, we had, I think eleven, um, which isn't many because I then. Later on in my, in my service, I went back to Wandsworth as, as a custody inspector for a very short time, and they built one of these big super nicks. Oh, right. And as a custody inspector, I then had responsibility for... How many were they? Did I have 
Okay. But that's, t- that's too much, isn't it? You're supposed to be doing reviews on people. I think there might have been more than that, you know. I, I, I stand corrected, I, I would be. Um, well, no, I know. It, I used to go home just deflated yeah. and just absolutely exhausted mentally. Yeah, battle-weary. But, yeah, <laughs> massively, massively battle-weary. But, <laughs> yeah, the days of custody. But, you know, I loved it. I loved it at Wandsworth. I had a great team um, and, yeah, it was just, it was good fun. It was it was it was hard work, but it was uh, it was good fun. And I learned I learned my sergeant trade there. I would say, well, yeah. and I'm grateful to all those people that I worked with on that team um, who kept me on the straight and narrow. <laughs> well, but, but as we've said before, a shift as a, as a supervisor, a shift can either make you or destroy you. If they're against you, oh, yeah. and they're all against you, then guess yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. You've got absolutely no chance of getting on. Yeah, I could, and, it, and I, I used to take it as a compliment if, um, you know, they would come to me um, like in the last hour. One of the lads came came to me in the last hour of the shift on an early term. Sarge, you coming out? You coming out for the last hour? Uh, and I go, yeah, yeah, all right. So it, this lad's just passed his um, his advanced driving course, so he's got the area car, so he's full of himself. Cock of the walk. Like, right, come on. Oh, absolutely. So I can remember I can remember him, a lad called Dave, gets in the area car and the, there's a probationer in the operator's seat called Richard. And we were driving down Putney High Street. Now, then those vehicles had the area cars, had this, I can't remember what it was called, machine in the front of the car that used to just flash and make funny noises that was, it would pick up stolen vehicles. If they had a tracker on them, no, I can't remember what it was called. I, not the AMPR. No, not the not. No, I'm going back some years. All oh, right. So it's like 2000 and where are we? 2002, three, something like that, probably. And um, I can't remember. The oh, there was a tracker called, system. There was a tracker system. That was do you know what in, I mean? And it'd hone yeah. in as you got closer to it. It'd start beeping, and then it'd give you the yeah, yeah. But yeah. well, it just used to flash, and and people were like, just ignore it. Well. We're at the top of Putney High Street and this thing springs into life and we go, hey, oh, what's going on here? So um, the probationer gets onto the main set and uh, MPMP, we have a whatever, whatever it's called, activation, blah, blah, blah. So they said, all right, yeah, no, let's just have a little look for you. This is a stolen Jaguar whatever. And we're like, oh, let's go on a mooch. So we're off on a mooch and um, <laughs> we end up going over Putney Bridge. So we're, we're then, as soon as you get halfway over Putney Bridge, you're off your ground, you're into the next borough, which is probably Hammersmith and Fulham. And we're just mooching about trying to find this jag. And I'm in the back, I'm obviously, I'm in the middle of the back seat, like looking, getting all excited about this. And uh, all of a sudden we sat at this set of traffic lights somewhere in Kensington and Chelsea, I think by now. And we see this car and it's part, it's a set of traffic lights opposite. I'm going, be cool, be cool. Don't look obvious. Let's just pretend that we don't know about it. <laughs> and you see this guy in the driver's seat thinking, oh God, do they know this is Nick? Do they know? And it was, who's going to give in first? Because we were sat opposite each other at set of lights. Anyway, straight away, he booted it. 
he turned in front of us, booted it down this side road, and that was it. We were off. <laughs> and apparently at one point, all you can hear on the main set, in the background, I was going, go on, Dave, get him. And I was obviously encouraging him to drive according to um, Roadcraft and all of that, you know. And drive to the system, Dave. Get him, get him. And uh, anyway, we did get him. And I was then had great pleasure in phoning the um, the victim. It come from a burglary. This this um, this car. And uh, I found uh, the victim and I said, oh, hello, Mr. Whatever your name is. Oh, hi, my name's Sergeant Withnall. I'm phoning from Battersea Police Station. Oh, hi. Um, I'm just phoning to let you know that we've uh, got your car. And he said, oh, fantastic. Uh, I said, yeah, we did arrest somebody driving it. So, um, so we do have somebody in custody at the moment as well. Oh, that's great. Is the car okay? I said, it done half shift. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, don't say that. He said, don't say that. I said, no, no, it's, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how long were you there before you moved on to your next post, though? Because you, you moved away from... I did. I, I spent three years at Wandsworth, Um and, you know, my eyes on the prize were that I wanted to go to Special Branch. And so I um, took some advice from a lovely lady called Sally Benatar, um, who retired as the Chief Superintendent, um, and she was in Special Branch. And I remember having a conversation with her, and she said, you need to go down the in- Intel route. You need to get a job in Intel. Okay, and she told me all these things that I needed to do, and so that was my little attack plan. So a job was advertised for um, a focus desk sergeant in uh, Hammersmith and Fulham Intel unit. I thought, well, they're only the next borer along, Um, so I went for that, and (laughs) next minute. There, there I go, and I'm, I, you know, I was reluctant because it's like, oh, I sat at a desk, it's not really me, um, but I knew that that was the path that I needed yeah. to go down in order to get to where I wanted to be. So off I went to um, Hammersmith, and I was in the intelligence unit there, um, responsible for burglary and motor vehicle crime. Oh, right. Mm. Uh, so basically putting proactive jobs together, um, I had uh, an analyst, uh, I had a, res- a, civili- a civilian analyst, civilian researcher, and I had a PC uh, field officer who, um, you know, if, I, if we were putting a job together, they would go out and get your RPs and and um, and do all your bits and bobs basically out on the street. And I used to go out with them as well. Did a lot of stuff with the source unit, um, stuff like that. Well, I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh no, that's, um, that, that's the you know for me that's mm. the right way of policing. When you start doing targeting of people and and crimes, yeah. then uh, it, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, um, but I mean, I guess when I look back and I think um, there's very rarely been a job where I've I've gone and I've got I've got stuck in straight away, and and it's ended up being you know a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I, lo- I loved it. So I was being proactive, but from inside an office. Um, but I do used to go out on some of the jobs with, with them. If you used to get the TSG in, I'd make sure I'd be making sure I was doing the briefing or getting involved in 
some some way, shape or form. Um, yeah, so I um, I did my little intel role there. And then where did you go, SO15 or was it Special Branch? And then thankfully my posting came through in February um, and off I went. I just went by. I'd kind of left again under a bit of and a... What, what year was that? I think, I want to say February 2007, I think it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, off I went to um, Counterterrorism Command um, and, yeah. And what, what was so, that like? I mean, you, obviously you can't, you can't tell us state secrets, but what was that like working in, in counterterrorism? Because obviously we'd had the 7-7 issues. So domestic extremism um, was... where I was. Yeah, so I joined after we'd had... I joined Special Branch... Well, I joined SO15 after we'd had 7-7 and um, just... I thought, what year was the liquid bomb plot? Oh, I couldn't tell um, you. To just before that, I think... Um, anyway, I joined, I joined just after, and I was basically involved in covert operations for counterterrorism. And the way that I would describe it is a friend of mine uh, described it as this in the past, which is if you were putting a theatre production together and you've got all the actors, on, they're separate. They're, they're the surveillance team, if you like, all the actors. And the unit I was on was there to make sure that all the equipment was there, that the lights and the cameras were all where they needed to be and running. And, you know, if any props needed moving, we would do all of that. And so we would basically get the production ready for the actors. Gotcha. So, yeah, so that's basically what what we did. Um and it, you know, if, if people say to me now, oh, you know, what sorts, what sort of jobs were there, and all this, that, and then I say, go on YouTube and look at the liquid bomb plot. So, um, massive operation. Um, I'm pretty sure it's one of the largest um, surveillance operations that the oh, UK sure. has ever had. Um, I mean, obviously, I wasn't involved in that operation, and everything that we did was kind of similar, but not as big, on a yeah. larger scale. So, but it was the sort of policing that I loved, you know, um, you were dealing with really, really, really bad people. Um, and as we used to joke and say, doing important work for the government. Um, but, uh, yeah, loved it. Sexy policing. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. And Massively. how long did you do that for? Um, I left SO15 in April 2012. Five, five years. Just before the Olympics. Yes, I left just before the Olympics. And, and where yeah. were you based? Because the, I mean, there's a number of different areas, but where were you based at that time? What with um, with fifteen? So fifteen. We used to work out of Tintagel House, which is they've left there now. Um, but in, Tintagel House in Vauxhall. Yeah, Albert Embankment. Albert Embankment. Yeah, uh, a lot. A lot of people knew Tintagel is where DPS used to work out of. And if you were in trouble, you used to go and have a day out down the end because that's where the, the tribunal's right. room was down the end of the corridor. We moved further up um, to Vauxhall and we worked out of there. 
and it's probably the probably the easiest journey to work that I ever had because I could just jump on the train. I uh, retired in March twenty one. Do you miss it? Uh, I miss the clowns. I don't miss the circus. Mm. Um, and I thought I would miss it more because I'm very proud of my service. Um, you know, and I, I, it doesn't bother me to say that. Um, I mean, I could probably say I, I wish I'd done more, but you know, just but, we probably we probably do. But but of course, yeah. you're retiring. COVID had been had a massive impact on policing. Oh. Um, yeah. All those, all those. I mean, it had massive impacts on life. Full stop. But had a huge impact on policing because we're enforcing rules and, and laws and all the other stuff that goes with it, the daily briefings that police officers would have got. Were you still on CT at that time? What, during COVID? Yeah. No, I, um, I'd i got promoted and I'd moved to um, to royalty. Oh, you gone, gone to royal. To Ross. I went to royalty and specialist protection. Yeah. And um, and what side of the royalty were you were you on? CP. No, so I was um, I was a uniform inspector um, on what used to be known as the residential side. Oh, okay. So we we were responsible for the I guess the safety and the protection of um, all the royal residences, whether they had anybody in them or not. Um, and when people say to me, well, what did you do as a duty officer there? I said, well, I was the SPOB, which is a single point of blame. Yes. <laughs> because <laughs> as soon as anything goes wrong, and it could be anything, absolutely anything, the first question they would say was, who's the duty officer? Mm. Every time, who's the duty officer? Um, and a lot of people would joke and say, oh, that's when you took early retirement. Um, and, you know... I remember having a conversation with a lad who was on my team at Windsor, a lad called Matt, who'd done a lot of territorial sport group stuff. Yeah. And he said, oh, where were you, be- where were you before here? I said, well, directly before here, I-, I spent a short time as a custody inspector at Brixton and Wandsworth. And he went, oh, boss, you've earned this. <laughs> <laughs> you've earned this. <laughs> but you've got a very exacting audience when you're dealing with the royals or anything to do with the royals. Yeah. They they want their Her Majesty didn't want to see the police, but the police had to be had to be there. And mm. I know that you you know we, we've got some mutual friends that have worked within the palaces, and it's quite a difficult role to try and keep everybody happy. And yeah. I mean, I know that some senior commanders found it particularly difficult when they banned the Christmas puddings from being given out to the the staff. Oh. Yeah, but you know, I got it, and I understood why that order came out. But yeah, it didn't make them the most popular person. It, it used to, it used to crack me up every year that there was a chief inspector involved in charge of handing out Christmas puddings. Yeah, because. There'd just be a fight over him. Oh, why has he got one and I haven't? That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I've still got one, but I haven't eaten his in my cupboard. Oh, that'd be worth a few <laughs> quid on eBay in a few years' time. 
Did you get assigned to any of the royals themselves, or were you just doing all the residential? No, no. We um, so I was I was based at Windsor um, predominantly, but there were occasions that we would go um, in central London, and we might because of if everybody was up in Scotland and there were no royals in any of the residences anywhere, and we were basically just kind of caretakers for an empty building per se. Um, then I'd have responsibility for Kensington, St James's, Buckingham Palace and Windsor. Nice. And I'd do it from London um, and just do the rounds over a 12-hour shift. Because I find that really but, strange that Windsor, that you had primacy at Windsor, but that's actually in the Thames Valley area. Yeah. So um, the external of the uh, perimeter is policed by Thames Valley and inside is policed by the Met. Well, I never. Which is very similar to when we go to Scotland. Right. So I had many opportunities to go up to Balmoral, which I absolutely loved. Loved it up there. Fantastic. Um, And again, we were responsible for whatever went on inside and the outside. We worked very closely with Police Scotland. It was their operation. Um, So... um, yeah, and I remember last time I went, um, so that would have been August 2020, um, so COVID times, maybe, yeah. um, in and out of tears and whatever else we were in by then. Um, there wasn't a time in my two weeks, I had every single major royal, every single one was there at some point, wow. all overlapping. But that must have been fascinating to because I mean I love the royal family. I'm a I'm a real royalist. Make no mistake about that. And I absolutely. What yeah. was that like when you're seeing the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh and the King now Prince Charles up close and being that you know that intrinsically linked with them? Well, just um, just immensely proud for me just uh, so it was such a fantastic opportunity I mean at first I used to just pinch myself and laugh but I used to walk out from the little police building and you walk out um through the car park and go kind of you come out through the bushes and you're you're near the south lawn at the back of Winds Castle and I just used to go you know a few months ago I was in Brixton custody suite yeah arguing with somebody who's on a got a meth habit or yeah, exactly. And, and now here I am, and I'm going, this is mad. Um, and then whenever the Queen uh, would go in or out, generally the duty officer would be there to salute her out the gate, in or, in or out. Um, <clears throat> and that was, that was just, I don't know, but a lot of people would think it's not really anything, but for me, it's such an honour. Such an honour. Um yeah, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Did you play golf there? Uh, I don't play golf. Oh, I've played golf up no. there a few times. It's, it's no. not, not the best I've course a, in I've the had world. A mo- but... I've had a mooch around on the golf course for, for um, security reasons, but other than that, I've not had any involvement in it. Yeah, no, I've, I've, <laughs> I've played up there. And it's uh, it's not the best golf course in the world, but it's... It's only a little one. In probably two. the most exclusive. Yeah. You can't just walk on yeah. there. You got a good view at the back of the palace. Oh yeah, and that's where they had the concert. Yeah. I think castle rather. I couldn't believe it when the when the concert was on there. I was like, oh, 
Good grief. I'm not sure the Queen would have allowed that. No. What a logistical nightmare but, um, that would have been as well. I know, yeah, very much so. Um, I, I think the majority of that was, was uh, Thames Valley police fit, from what I, yeah, I'm from sure. what I believe. Um, but, yeah, no, I loved it at Windsor. And, and again, you know, I, as part of my role, I used to go and check alarms and mooch about the castle, obviously when there was nobody in residence, and I've been in every room in there. Amazing. If you had your chance to do it all again, though, would you? What, all of it? Yeah. Or any particular part? Yeah, I mean, what part would you do again? Well, there's very few elements um, of my policing career that I've disliked. There's, there's a, don't get me wrong. There's been, there's been some downs where you feel like you're pushing treacle uphill. Um, from a personal point of view, as well as a professional one, mm. in that you're having to fight people having to go at you personally whilst you're at work, um, which is never nice. Um, and I've had situations like that, which have have been a real downer. But little things in my career, like walking back from a meeting in uniform when I was at Richmond and this old guy waved at me from across the road and the pedestrian crossing wasn't working and he wanted me to help him across the road. And I was like, yes! I remember (laughs) the public in distress. I I was like, everybody stop. I'm here. (laughs) Pathetic. But... Just the way he looked and went, oh, she'll help me. You know, it's pathetic, isn't it? Um, uh, another um, defining moment for me was representing the, the Met Police at the British Legion um, Festival of Remembrance in 2014. Um, and I think the, the most important part of that was the fact that a friend and a colleague uh, had seen... He must have read the commissioner's blog religiously. I did not. And um, he saw that he'd written it on the end of his blog. We were looking for two people to represent the MPS at the Festival of Remembrance. Um, They should be able to march. I think they wrote on there or something. And he sent it to me and he went, if this hasn't got your name on it, I don't know what has. And I like the fact that that was acknowledged. And I had to write a little... Um, little Billy do and send it off to the superintendent and say, I think I should do this. Have you seen my shoes? Um, because they were always bald. Um, and uh, and sure enough, I got selected to go and I got to meet um, two D-Day veterans and I was beside myself with yeah, joy. and Oh, just absolutely. What an experience. Yeah. And I was there with the wonderful Nick Oldworth, who would be another fantastic um guest for you to uh, to interview because he's doing some fantastic work at the moment um obviously trying to get martin's law through and we were paired up together um yeah lovely guy yeah, and I'm, very nice. I, I'm i'm just really happy with with the work that he's um he's doing in the world of ct at the moment i'm very very for it now you're in the private sector what does that look like for you <laughs> well I, when I was coming up to close to retirement, everybody says that you should have a plan. And so I thought I had a plan. And then COVID drove a massive bus straight through it. 
And um, my plan had to be quite fluid then. In fact, I'm not really sure what happened. I was going to be a ski instructor. Were you? That's what I wanted to do. And I was telling people when I was leaving, getting ready for leaving, well, what are you going to do? So I'm going to, I'm going to buy a little house, a bit of a lock up and leave. And then I'm hopefully I'm going to spend five months a year in the mountains. And I'm going to um, take my first two levels of ski instructor exam. And I'm going to teach people. I'm going to be up on a mountain, um, which is where I like being, in, in the snow. And um, I'm going to teach people. How to ski? The very basic, you know, basic yeah, level. Yeah. I was never going to get top level, level four. It takes people ten years to get to that level. I ain't got time for that. My knees definitely haven't got time for that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I went off and did my uh, my level one, which we do. I did in November 2019. So just as COVID was kind of yeah. bubbling away somewhere, and um, I did that in Manchester, and then. Straight away from Manchester, I went to France for two weeks and I did two weeks of training um, to see if I had potential to go to the next level. And it was it was kind of there. I needed to do some more training, but it was it was kind of there. So I put the wheels in motion and I started booking courses and all this. And then I put the flat up for sale and, and I was going all down that route and I got a buyer for my flat and my course was booked and literally two weeks before I um, left to go to France. France went back into lockdown. Mm. And everybody had, because I was going on a gap year course. They were all kids that were on the course already. And they had started because they they were doing their part one, which I'd already done, their level one. I'd already done mine. So I was going to be joining them a bit further down the course and they'd already gone out and started there. And these kids had taken a year off the university to do this. And they literally started the course and then been told, get on a flight, get home. Otherwise, you're going to be locked in here. So mm. uh, it was, what do I do now? So I ended up, I made myself homeless because I went through with the sale of my flat and oh, um, I kind of fell into the private sector by accident. I'd <clears throat> been contacted before I left the police, about 18 months before I left, about something going on in the Middle East and they'd obviously looked at, I've, I've got myself a LinkedIn profile, but there wasn't much on it. And they'd looked at what, I, you know, the, the sort of skills that I'd got and they contacted me and said, are you interested in coming out and being a trainer? And I said, oh, I said, yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds like something that I might, might like to do. I'd been an officer safety trainer in the police. Um, I'd loved doing that, but I'd, I'd not done any kind of, we did a little bit of classroom input, but I'd never been a full, you know, yeah. full-on trainer. Um, I didn't have any qualifications to say that I was a trainer. So um, I then had a conversation with um, somebody that I'd um, known of, although I didn't know her very well, um, a lady that had been in a chief superintendent in SA15, and she was asking me the same questions, and she said, she said, you need to go off and do a trainer's course, get a qualification to train. And um, and that's what I did. I did that during lockdown. So it, I used to sit in the garden with my job laptop and I, I did it all online, writing these essays and what have you. And, um, and then there was an opportunity to go out to the Middle East for four months. And, um, and that's what I did. And what course did you do for your training course? What the, Was it level, um, level three, level four? Yes, I did. I did the, I did the level three um, in education training. 
And that stands so, you in good stead when you get out there and Yeah, I mean it's it's it kept me in employment you know, kind of since I left really, um, on and off here and there. So um yeah, so I'm doing a bit of that. Oh, brilliant. And what does the future yeah. look like for Tracy? Oh, I've no idea. <laughs> I've absolutely no idea. Um I mean, unfortunately, I bought a money pit of a house, so I'm, uh, I spend a lot of time trying to uh, to get this finished. But um, I honestly don't know. I really don't know. Um, we'll have to see, I guess. <laughs> well, only time, only time will tell. Wing it and get along. Yeah, well, absolutely, absolutely. But you're still young um, enough would- to do what you want, aren't you? Yeah, but I um, don't get me wrong. I like being able to. Um, I don't. I don't ever want to work full time again. No. You know, we've done that, and um, not being able to do things when you want. Um, I don't mind. You know, getting involved in doing work. I'm a. I've always been a grafter. I'm happy to continue being a grafter, but I don't want to work um, shifts and. Every day God sends, and no. not have any control over anything. Again, I've done that. I've done that for thirty-one years. Um, <clears throat> but what I enjoy is being able to use all of my past experiences to maybe influence, in a good way, uh, other people on their journey. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely makes sense, and that's what I enjoy. Um, and in particular, I've been involved in um, helping to deliver a counterterrorism awareness course, um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed doing that. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and it, and I guess you know that I've been predominantly an operational officer all my yeah. service. So, um, and that's that's what I enjoy doing. Well, Tracy. I'm really grateful for your time today. And um, before I conclude this interview, is there anything you'd like to add also or correct? Well, do you know, that always sends a bit of a shiver down the spine, that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. It's uh, It's been lovely to chat. Well, thank you very thanks much for your time. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. So I've got to say, you are from, where, where do you live now? North Yorkshire. Well, I live in, uh, near Pickering in North Yorkshire. Is that near where Happy Valley, how far is that from a Happy Valley? <laughs> Happy Valley um, is based in and around West Yorkshire. I love that programme. I love it. <laughs> that is, I don't watch police programmes. I don't watch police programmes, but um, I watched that and I absolutely, she is such, Sarah Lancaster, what an actress and the part that she played. And if I worked on a team and I had sergeants like that working with me, I know that the world would be safe. Yeah. I absolutely know it. Absolutely. There's a lot of them that like her about. I'm sure there are. And that's you though, isn't it? That's you. You are that person. (laughs) It's I used her character face as my profile picture on my Facebook account once, and that was it, just as a bit of a joke. And everybody was like, "No, I knew it, I knew it." Um, And 
when series three came on, I did get some messages from people saying, you're back on telly. <laughs> and I take that as a massive compliment. Oh, yeah. Massive compliment. I mean, I hope it's because, you know, I'm, I'm gritty and, I, and I, I get on with it, as opposed to they think I look really knackered. <laughs> which... <laughs> oh, if you're, listening, if you're listening to this, Sarah, we don't think that you look knackered, all right? We don't oh, think... She's supposed to. She's supposed to look haggard well, in it, that program. But it is a tough she's, job. Know, it is. She's a she's a worn out skipper coming towards the end of her service, uh, and she's grafted the last, hasn't she? So she has grafted. She's going to look a bit tired. Like and she needs a little lie down. Every um, no, so, <laughs> nobody nobody likes so, somebody like the chap that that she killed or that got. No, sorry, I'll rephrase yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Nobody likes the the type of chap. Who was was the centre figure in in the um, in yeah, the show, yeah, yeah. and everybody that watched Tommy. that Tommy, rock on Tommy, Tommy. Yeah. everybody <laughs> was behind her. Everything that she did, every oh, twist and turn, every part of that program. If if you watched it, you loved it. You couldn't. It was addictive. And uh, absolutely, and you know the build up to it to that final episode was immense and I remember somebody put something on social media and it was you know giving you little snippets of the final episode and there was all this you know people trying to predict what was going to happen and I was genuinely concerned for her I, know. I thought some I was genuinely concerned I know and I said I actually wrote a comment and I said if something I'm telling you now if something happens to Catherine we ride at dawn we're off we're going I know. <laughs> I was not happy about it. But, yeah, as she said at the end, we've had another bit of a tussle. <laughs> I won, obviously. <laughs> I may have singed one of your crochet blankets, yeah. What a legend. What a Absolutely legend. love her. Yeah, no, Fantastic brilliant. character. And I'm sure that there are copies out there like that. Oh, there and are. And I applaud them. Yeah, I applaud I do. them. Yeah, I just hope that their enthusiasm isn't stifled by some somebody who doesn't actually get the way that people should be pleased. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. I've I have thoroughly enjoyed our pleasure. conversation and um, I will speak to you when you're older. <laughs> you're only as young as you are now. Indeed. Take care. <laughs> Cheers, Paul. Be good. Speak soon and be safe out in Jordan. Yeah, yeah. It's cool out there. And, it's all right. And, and don't... <laughs> Don't cry too much when you leave the dog behind. I know. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm the same. Heart on my sleeve. So that's how, same, we, yeah. that's how we are. <laughs> Speak to you soon. Thanks. Take care. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.